Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Bucknuts Happy Hour. I'm Patrick Murphy, and uh, we're in for another fun show this week in the offseason of Buckeye football. We're going to do things a little bit different this week than we have in the past. Mostly the guests in the Bucknuts Happy Hour have been people you probably know and recognize, but uh, today I'm bringing on a good buddy of mine, Harrison Jones. Harry, uh, you and I have known each other for a long time. You are one of the biggest Buckeye fans I know. As much as I don't like to tell you this, you're one of the smartest Buckeye fans I know. And you've been begging me to do a podcast for a while. So I decided you should be on the Bucknuts Happy Hour. Thanks for coming on with me. These are all true things. <laughs> I'm the smartest fan you know, and I've been begging you to do this forever. So, yeah. Well, you, will, Harry and I once recorded a podcast that will never see the light of day after a day of more than a couple happy hour drinks. So uh, we've at least practiced this once. Harrison, I've got a Christmas ale here that was left over in my fridge. Most of the guests on the happy hour don't drink with me because they're busy working or whatever. You have found time in your day to have a beer. What are you sipping on? Sipping on a, a little Newcastle, right. Newcastle brown ale, and I've got it in a fancy little koozie here, which I didn't yeah. even know worked for bottles, but they did. Nice. Well, cheers. Cheers, Pat. All right. Anyway, we're going to talk some Buckeye football. As I mentioned, Harrison's a huge Ohio State fan, has been since he was born. Uh, Harrison, just give a little background to the people, obviously, uh, that don't that are listening to this, that, that don't know who you are. We met working together when we were younger. But, uh, yeah, give them a little background on your Buckeye fandom. Yeah, I'm from I'm from the Ohio area, Columbus, born and raised, indoctrinated pretty early on with the Buckeye fandom. Uh, known Pat probably about 13, 14 years now. We uh, we worked together fresh out of college. He was still in college. We were making pennies at that time, and we're still here. So kudos to us. Um, yeah, just a uh, big-time Buckeye fan, big-time sports fan in general. Um, it's been fun following your 
journalism career, your reporting career, and bantering and going back and forth with you. So it's exciting to be here today. Yeah, we'll certainly do some bantering. Harrison and I argue a lot about sports, Buckeyes included. Today we're going to talk about uh, some of the new roles on the Buckeye coaching staff. Specifically, I want to hit on Brian Hartline, who's promoted to offensive coordinator, and I want to talk about bringing in James Laurinaitis and really what we think about those two roles. If you have questions, comments, things you'd like to talk about, feel free if you're watching this live, throw them in the comment section. We'll try and get to some of those as well. But talking about those coaches, I have two questions for you, Harry. First, at this point in Brian Hartline's career, do you think of him more as coach Brian Hartline or the guy that played wide receiver for the Buckeyes before he played in the NFL? What stands out most to you about two sides of his career? I'd I'd have to say he's the coach to me now. I mean, he's earned that. He's the things he's done at Ohio State with the wide receiver room and just his reputation throughout the country as developing guys and bringing in top recruits. Like I'd say his coaching career has almost surpassed his, his NFL career at this point. I mean, he's, he's done wonders with the wide receiver room. I mean, the NFL talent and the immediate product on the field in college and the NFL is just, it's second to none really. And I think that's why we're seeing, seeing him where he's at today. Yeah, I agree. I think most people probably, you know, his Buckeye career as a player was good. And obviously he went on to have a nice career in the NFL. Um, as I pointed out to him once, until um, the tight end from Florida who plays for Atlanta, Pitts, uh, yeah. he was the only player in NFL history to have over 1,000 receiving yards and no touchdowns in one season. And uh, wow. Brian Hartley was well aware of that fact. So he's in good company now with Kyle Pitts. Um, oh, wow. So Hartline had that in the NFL. That's, yeah. That was his stat? Yeah. Yeah, and I brought it up to him. I told him. I was like, do you know that there's one thing that you are the only you were the only person in the NFL to have until Kyle Pitts? And he was he thought about it for a second. And he's like, a thousand receiving yards and no touchdowns. And I was like, that's it. And he's like, thanks for bringing that up, man. And just turned around and walked away. I was like, yeah, that's an amazing trivia fact and something I'm sure he wishes he could forget. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, the guy's done well for himself. I think he'll be all right. Um, thousand yards in the NFL too. I mean, that's yeah, that's not a small feat. So no, no. And he did some good things um, as a player, but you're right. I think as most people would attest what he's done post playing career has, has set him up um, for this new promotion as offensive coordinator. I think that, uh, I think that he is used what he learned as a coach or as a player, excuse me, to, to become the coach that he is. And we'll get into what him as an offensive coordinator really means going forward. But the second question I wanted to ask you on James Laurinaitis, do you have a favorite memory or, or maybe two that stand out about his playing career as a Buckeye? Um, I wouldn't say favorite. The one that comes to mind to me is probably he made a pretty big play against Texas in Texas. I think he was a true freshman that year or maybe a redshirt freshman. Um, he had a fumble. He caused a fumble near the near the goal line. They were about to score early on, and that just changed the momentum of the game. So, I mean, aside from him being, you know, all the accolades, three-time or was it four-time or three-time All-American? I mean, All-American, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's his resume speaks for itself. I mean, he had one of those careers in the NFL that probably went under the radar just because 
He played for a terrible Rams franchise at the time, which you're all too familiar with. Yeah, yeah but, but he put the numbers up. And, um, yeah, I mean, he, he, he left his impression on a high state, and so it's definitely a huge get to get him back in the program and have a familiar face like that talking to young linebackers. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. We talked to him last week. It was awesome to see him back at the Woody. Uh, you know, obviously he did some, some media stuff, so I'd been around him. Uh, talked about talked to him quite a bit when, when he was here locally. So good to see him back in the program. Didn't see right. It didn't seem right seeing him in Notre Dame colors. Even though yeah, so is his role immediately a graduate assistant or is he how's that work? Because I know that's kind of the title he had at Notre Dame, but yeah. and maybe yeah. we'll get into that. But yeah, no, we'll let's let's just dive into it now. We'll start with with Laurenitis. So yes, he's a graduate assistant coach. Uh, which means he's getting paid pennies to what he probably is worth right now, but he certainly doesn't need the money after his NFL career. Um, And then he will, he is able to do pretty much anything a coach can do on the field and practice whatnot. He can be on the sidelines on game day. Um, There are some limitations to that. It's it, but the idea is that he is basically the assistant linebackers coach under okay. Jim Knowles. And yeah. even beyond that, Jim Knowles being the defensive coordinator, he's essentially really the linebacker. I mean, he will run most of the linebacker group. Um, Ohio State had a, a coach, uh, Coy McFarland, who did that pretty much last year. And a lot of players credited him with, with help with the linebackers. And then that's pretty much what Hartline was doing. Or I'm sorry, what Laurinaitis was doing at Notre Dame. Yeah, they had the same situation. Al Golden was defensive coordinator, linebackers coach. And I've talked to a number of guys that are involved with the Notre Dame program. They really liked what he brought. Um, There was a little concern, I think, on Ohio State. I know on Ohio State's side of things, originally when he first kind of talked to Ryan Day about being a coach, whether or not he really wanted to do the the grind of being a coach, the day-to-day things like that. the time you gotta think, though, him him coming in and and the you know just his background and I mean from everything I've read from you and heard from you he's he's motivated to come in this this should kind of help I guess change the the stigma of the linebacker room at Ohio State I would think or at least start shifting gears I know you know we have no slouches at any position but. Ohio State historically is known for having that that just almost Ray Lewis-type linebacking core that gets after it, stops the run, can do everything. And uh, that's something that seems like it's been missing a little bit over the years. And so bringing him in maybe from a recruiting standpoint can pull pull some names and coach these guys up that we already have because they're obviously, you know, currently really talented. So, Yeah, absolutely. I mean – Similarly with Hartline and how he kind of got his career going. And he was the same thing. He was a graduate assistant at Ohio state under Zach Smith. Obviously all that stuff happened with him and Hartline was promoted, but he was able to, to use what he had done on the field and not only talk to the guys about a career at Ohio state, a career in the NFL, but actually get out there. You know, he's young enough that he can get out there. I've seen Brian Hartline run routes out at the practice field and stuff. He can show the guys and not every coach can do that. A lot of guys, you know, either they they're getting up there in age, they had injuries throughout their career that that make it so they can't do some of the stuff. 
Um, you know, they've eat, eaten a few cheeseburgers since their playing career was over, whatever it may be. But yeah. uh, a guy like Brian Hartline, a guy like James Laurinaitis, I mean, they, they look like they are still in playing shape. Probably couldn't couldn't actually handle everything that goes into it. But Those guys I, are still I really, great athletes, though, let's be honest. Yeah. Like, and what's interesting probably, to me – Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it probably helps to be able to have someone that made it to the NFL. They both made – you know, like you mentioned, they had contracts beyond their rookie deals. You know, they, they've got the experience. So, you know, relating to the kids and the kids believing that they're, you know, telling them what they need to be doing, that's got to be really high up there uh, for any position group. You know, you bring in recruits and they want to know, hey, this guy's not just uh, here to bring me on campus because I'm a five-star or four-star this guy's trying to get me to the next level. And so I think having guys that have been there before is probably just, it's gotta be huge for high state. Yeah. Just, I mean, imagine, you know, Heartline or I'm sorry, Laurinaitis cannot go on the road recruiting right now as a graduate assistant, but he can talk to kids when they are at visiting Ohio state and he can call kids. So he can still be involved in a lot of this. So why is that? What's what's cause just cause they're graduate assistants, they can't, stupid rule by the NCAA and there's a lot of talk that in the near future they're going to do away with limits on assistant coaches or at least raise the number and believe you me James Laurinaitis will be one of the first guys to see a a promotion if you want to call it that to an actual assistant coach now that he's in the program there's a number of guys that they have in the program that they've kept around you know just promoted a guy like Keenan Bailey who was doing this for a while at the graduate assistant level the tight ends coach so they have a lot of guys that they really like. Um, but imagine if you're a recruit, even if you're a current player, sitting down with a guy like James Laurinaitis, whose picture is literally all over the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. I mean, how do you, you know, how how do you get anything better? How do you get any anyone with more trust at the position? And let's be honest, James Laurinaitis, yes, he's a freak athlete compared to us, but like he wasn't like the elite guy, you know, he wasn't running guys down. It was all up here for James. I mean, most of it uh, was up here for James. And so to talk with a guy like that, to have a guy like that showing you things. I mean, the day that we talked to the assistant coaches, I stood there and talked with him for an extra few minutes. He's talking about like just the starting position of a linebacker before the snap and how one step left or right can completely change what the offense is able to do. And, you know, he's just basic talking to me. Right. Doing that to, you know, a guy at, at the very basic level that, that is new to the room, that is, you know, a young player, things like that, I think is great. And then obviously he can take it up to whatever level you need him to go for more experienced guys, things like that. So, yeah, I think, I mean, anyone who's lives in Columbus or listens to ESPN radio when James was on, on the air, I, I think you, you know, he's a no BS kind of guy, right? Like yeah. he's going to shoot you straight forward and, I mean, that kind of leadership at that position group is probably what we need. And, you know, there's never been a question as to whether or not we have the talent, but getting the guys on the same page, I mean, I think I think that leadership aspect is going to be huge for them too. Yeah. And he's going to learn under Jim Knowles, who is, you know, got this defense moving in the right direction last year. Obviously, it wasn't a finished product. It didn't end the way people wanted it to. But he's worked with linebackers for years. 
it's going to be a shift a little bit from what James was doing at Notre Dame. They played more three linebacker sets than Ohio State's doing now. Um, but I don't imagine he will have much in the way of difficulty in, in trying to adjust as a guy who's played in a number of different defensive systems. Uh, I mean, even during his time at Ohio State, you know, he and Marcus Freeman were essentially two of the two linebackers on the field a lot of times because they played a lot of nickel and dime stuff right. uh, under Trestle towards the end there. So, you know, he's he's been familiar with that. I think it will be – I think it'll be very interesting to see how he progresses in this role, how quickly he can – you know, prove that he deserves something bigger. And I do right. think as soon as the NCAA allows, they're going to uh, let him move up and, and be a full-time assistant, which you get that guy on the road recruiting for your defense. I think that's a, that's a big deal. Um, yeah. And he's already got some connections with guys he was recruiting at Notre Dame, some big time linebackers that are, he's now started to uh, shift focus to for Ohio state. So you, you've got that coming with him. Um, yeah, the Notre Dame Ohio State rivalry is like just this past year, and with with Laronitis going over there, I wouldn't call it a rivalry, but you know the situation that they're in right now, the recruiting aspect. We've seen Notre Dame get some get some players that maybe in the years past, you know, are staying home, staying at Ohio State. So it'll, yeah, to your point, it'll be interesting to see how this progresses, and you know. As a fan, you got to think Laronitis being in the linebacker room all year last year kind of helps us next year in South Bend. So, certainly, I mean he he knows Marcus Freeman and what Marcus Freeman's defense wants to do is as good as anybody out there. Look, Ohio State would do their homework anyway, and I think you know there's not going to be a ton of surprises. But right, I do think that uh, that you'll you know you'll take any advantage you can get when you're going to South Bend, right? So having Laronitis on the staff, and I think. There was talk about it the other way around last year. He was a guy, while he wasn't on the staff at Ohio State, being a former player, they can go over and watch practice. I know he did that quite a bit when it didn't interfere with his uh, his stuff with BTN or his stuff with 97 on the fan. So you know, he was familiar with Ohio State. I'm sure he gave the ins- as much inside information. Now, it was a new defense, obviously, with Jim Knowles coming in, but yeah. he-, he was familiar. Uh, so you know, it'll it'll play out both ways in, uh, like you said, this little mini rivalry that these two schools are having. Let's shift over to Heartline because he obviously has been in the program for quite some time, uh, but now an offensive coordinator role, which is quite different than when you're coaching wide receivers. Um, you know, He will now have responsibilities to run this show. Now, Ryan Day is still obviously very much a part of what the offense does, he hasn't said for sure that he will give up play calling next season, although he did say that they're going to try some things in the spring with Brian Hartline calling plays. Uh, what did you make of, of promoting Brian Hartline when Kevin Wilson left? Do you think it was the right idea to keep him as happy as possible, or do you think Ohio State should have gone out and found a coordinator who had done this before? Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough question. I mean, I think he's earned earned his stripes at Ohio State. I mean, his work in the wide receiver room, he's I mean, his position in the country as a wide receiver coach is is number one probably. I mean, like we talked about. Um, with Kevin Wilson leaving, you know, that's a loss. Anytime you have a coach in a program for that long of a time that's been this successful in an offense, uh, you know, it, it's it's certainly going to be a challenge to replace that, but 
you know, Hartline's not new to this. He's in the room. Um, Ryan Day is a guru himself. I can't imagine Ryan Day is just going to take a hands-off approach to the offense. So it's almost like it was time. Like you mentioned, his name was hot at the end of last year. There were some rumors around Columbus and, you know, Ohio in general that he might potentially jump ship to Cincinnati at one point. And uh, obviously he cleared the air with that. But, you know, I think it's a good problem to have. Anytime you have a coach that's proven his ability both on and off the field uh, and deserves what many consider a pay bump or a position bump, like that's a good thing. So I think we're seeing competition and coaching rise to a level that we needed to be at. And this was the next step, but I can see the other flip side of it. You know, he's, he's not as seasoned as maybe bringing in a real coordinator or having uh, Kevin Wilson, but you know, what better coach to learn under right now from an offensive perspective than Ryan day. I mean, it just seems like it's video game numbers every year and, I think the big issue is whether or not we can protect the quarterback. Uh, And, you know, by doing that, it opens up all these other aspects of the offense. So I would love to be Brian Hartline if I was an up-and-coming offensive coordinator. You're getting to take over an offense that just – it's like a video game. Yeah, I mean, it's the the numbers speak for themselves. Obviously, everyone knows that. Uh, I've said it before. I think the one thing you have to be careful about, especially if you're giving up play calling, is that you have a guy who you know can do it. The only way to find that out is to have somebody do it, right? And Ryan Day right. said that when we talked to him last time was, look, the you have to call plays for the first time ever. Uh, he had to do it at one point in time. Everyone has to do it. Doing it at Ohio State is for the first time is a little different than doing it at you know, wherever Ryan Day was, the I don't know where the first time he actually was calling plays. So maybe New Hampshire, maybe. I, yeah, I, yeah. I just don't know what what his what he was being asked to do at the various jobs. Uh, I will be very interested if they do go the route of Brian Hartline as the play caller. He'll have some time early in the season before that Notre Dame game. Now the Buckeyes open on the road at Indiana next season, so you know it's not like you've got. That's very odd to be doing that. I. I... What's the deal with that, Pat? Yeah, Why do we not have a a patty cake non-conference? We'll pay you a million dollars if we can lay one on you. Yeah, I don't know. They've done this a few times. They did it two years ago when they opened at Minnesota. Um, there was right. four or five years ago they opened at Indiana. Again, that was a Thursday night game, which those it's are not the worst thing. I mean, you get a little test, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, look, if you had if this were last year and you had everybody coming back, I think you're fine with it. Uh, right. You're going to Indiana with a first-time starting quarterback, a new offensive line, and potentially a new play caller. That's a slightly more dicey. I think that the overall thought is that you should be able to handle Indiana. Um, you know, even if you're, even if that's your opener, and, and you've got some new pieces. Obviously, the big one will be Notre Dame, but I do think that. Uh, I do think that presents an interesting challenge if Ryan Day is the or if Brian Hartline is the primary play caller for the offense. But again, you've got so many weapons out there. Regardless of which quarterback you pick, you're going to have talent, a guy who can throw, a guy who can move around in the pocket. The offensive line is obviously a bit of a question, but you have months to work on that. So, 
I think they'll be fine, whatever they decide to do. Um, and, you know, when Brian Hartline was asked about it, and I said this last week on here, he was asked if he, you know, if tomorrow he basically had to call a game for Ohio State. Could he do it? And he immediately was like, yeah. So the confidence is there for sure, which I think you'd like to see. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not new to it. I think you're right, though. I, there's so many – this is such an interesting offseason for Ohio State football. I mean – as successful as we've been the last couple of years, or they've been rather, I say we because I'm a fan. I can say that. Oh, but as successful as they've been the last few years, we've come up a little short. You know, being in Columbus and Ohio State, you know, you hear the chatter that it's not enough or, or just the bar is set so high. This is one of the first off seasons where we're coming in with so much change, a different quarterback, you know, there's a little bit of a question mark at running back just from the standpoint that you got a guy coming off an injury. You've got Mayan coming back who's, you know, proven that he can carry the workload. But like you mentioned, three missing three O-line pieces that need to be replaced and just a new quarterback and a new coordinator. Like it could go swimmingly and they could just continue throwing points on, on teams or, you know, they could face adversity and, you know, this many new pieces could be problematic if you're not ready to go right out of the gate. So it'll be fun to watch, and it'll be crazy for Ohio State fans, I imagine, at some point, right? Sure. Next year's – I mean, next year's schedule is not easy. Uh, you got Penn State, a good Penn State team coming to Columbus, but you got to go to Madison. You got to go to uh, Notre Dame. Obviously, the end of the year, you're going up to the big house, face Michigan again. Uh, it'll, you know, it's, they will have to have their stuff together for sure to, uh, you know, make sure that, that they're ready to go. And again, starting with Indiana, not the easiest, not the most difficult, but not the easiest game in the world. I'm curious, you, you being a Buckeye, being the Buckeye fan that you are, and I just want to, this is something I wanted to ask you anyway, but since we're talking about success versus failure, um, expectations were obviously high this year team loses to Michigan what were you thinking about the team going into that college football playoff semifinal what was your like mental thoughts capacity on what this team could do against Georgia and then how did how did it play out different than you might have expected it to yeah I mean obviously we were underdogs you know the country's high on Georgia me being a Buckeye fan, I may be a hardcore Buckeye fan, but I try to keep it as logical and level-headed as possible. Um, but, you know, we knew what this offense could do, and we kind of saw that stall out a little bit against Michigan. And so the way I was thinking was we got a little bit of that, of that out of our system, and we have a clean slate to go up against this Georgia team that's the defending national champion and – Quite frankly, I expected them to show up and play like they did. They they executed their offense. CJ was virtually unstoppable. Uh, we, you know, we didn't run the ball quite as well as we probably would have hoped, which you know we didn't really do against Michigan either. So, you know, it went how I it went beyond how I hoped it would go. Things, college football, sports in general, they can go on a knife's edge, and to lose on a field goal that's heartbreaking, but. You know, they hung 42 or 43 on Georgia and should have, could have won the game. So it's heartbreaking. But that was that was the potential that the offense was capable of, and they reached it. And 
you know, a couple calls go our way, you know, hindsight's 2020, but they played what I thought they would do. And they kind of did the same thing against Utah last year. Like we probably underachieved against Michigan last year. The pressure was off a little bit. You know, I'd argue that the pressure was a little bit more on Georgia going in that sugar bowl. Um, and it was a good, it was a great game. They showed up. We were missing key pieces. I mean, you couldn't ask for more out of the offense, to be quite frankly, you know, frank with you. So I think the defense needs a little tune-up, obviously. Um, we've had some reoccurring issues in games against Michigan. But, again, that's just being a nitpicking Ohio State fan and spoiled. Like, 11-12 wins every year is great. Um, with the talent that they pull in, the expectations should still be there. But uh, yeah, I think the future is bright at Ohio State, and they're they're right there. You're allowed to be irrational. You can say that they should beat Michigan every year because I, I know that's what you think. I do not believe that they should beat Michigan every year. I want them to. I'm actually to your viewers. You have to admit this. I'm probably the most pessimistic Ohio State fan when it comes to the Michigan week. It's a little reverse psychology that I got going on here. I think they're going to lose. There's always that thing in the ear or the back of my brain. Tim Biakabatuka, Lloyd Carr, all the 90s teams that, you know, came up short. So being a 90s and 80s child growing up in the 90s, I know the possibility of falling short against Michigan. So, you know, like I said, we've been spoiled. How many years in a row and out of the last 20 years has Ohio State beat the snot out of Michigan or – you know, come up on game day and one. I mean, it's it's been great. But, you know, I don't like losing. No one at Ohio State likes losing. We always feel we probably are more talented than Michigan usually is. And uh, the rivalry is definitely back. You can't argue that. They won two straight. They got McNamara coming back next year. Part of me wishes Harbaugh would probably leave. Um, he's kind of, you know, called the bluff, the Michigan board. He, he's called their bluff. And – you know, they let him stick around and he's winning games. So I know he dabbles with the NFL in the offseason occasionally, but I would like to see them lose every game. That's who I am as an Ohio State fan. So so you, you're the type of Ohio State fan that would prefer Michigan come in with no wins as opposed to coming in like last year being really good? No, I, as long as we win, they can have zero wins or be undefeated. It's – it's actually more enjoyable when they come in and their hearts are crushed. All the years that Jabril Peppers was talking wild and we just did what we did. So that, that's more enjoyable. But, uh, yeah, I hope they lose every game by 100. That's just I've, – I've been cursed with that Buckeye fandom. Sure, sure. That makes sense. You mentioned the defense, and obviously that's something that's going to continue to be talked about. I think it's weird because like Ohio state was a top 10 defense until they faced Michigan and then Georgia. Um, and part of me is like, well, those are really the two teams that you need to be able to stop. So like the rest of the schedule doesn't really matter. You're supposed to dominate defensively against most of those teams though. I think Penn state was pretty good offensively. Um, but on the flip side of that, you'd look around college football and in especially big games, like, Look at the college football playoff games this year. Look at like Tennessee's games in the SEC, some of Georgia's games. Yeah, like there's there's a lot of scoring in those games. So you mentioned the defense needing to be tweaked. I'm curious from your perspective, 
what, what would you like to see? What do you want to see better? Is it more in your mind that, that stuff still needs to change or that like this is a process and they're still in the process of going through it? Yeah, that's a really tough question because, you know, I'll use a quote that my cousin Mike says. He, he wants to see the silver bullets back. Yeah. I think a good portion of hardcore Buckeye fans to this day that are above the age of like 25, which I'm above that, we remember those defenses that just dominated games. Maybe we weren't as dominant on offense as we should have been, but the defense came up and won games. I can't, you know, I can count on my hand in the last 10 years seasons where I thought the defense was going to get the critical stop or could just dominate a top five, top 10 team if our offense wasn't showing up. So I think it's more so of just, it would be nice to have a little bit more balance. Um, but, you know, they're so talented. The DNs have been amazing in the last decade. Our corners, we put many corners in the first round of the NFL draft. So it's, it's hard to say that they're not talented. It's just, you know, we've been so dominant on offense that I think it feels like we've relied on that and to maybe get a little bit more balance in the, in the whole scheme of things, you know, as a fan is always nice, but again, this is nitpicking because we win 11, 12, 13 games a year. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we talk about the linebackers, like everyone remembers Katzenmoyer, Laronitis, you know, Perry, Darren Lee, all these guys that were just big time names that always showed up in big games. And, um, you know, we got Eichenberg and Steel Chambers has, has stood out for the last couple of years. Uh, they've done great. But at the end of the day, you're remembered for beating Michigan and getting yourself in championship contention. So I think that that's something that that's going to need to step up in the next couple of years in order for us to get there as a team. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because we talked about kind of changes with Brian Hartline and, and I mentioned Keenan Bailey, Justin Friday, offensive line coach is also going to, to kind of take over run uh, run game. I think he's run game coordinator. I forget the exact title, but it'll be more involved with, with run game schemes. Defensive side of the ball, really, I mean, the Laurinaitis news made headlines because of who he is, but, you know, a graduate assistant isn't a huge change. So it's going to be the same group of coaches, which I think in all all fairness is the right thing to do. It was year sure. one with three new coaches, uh, year one of a new scheme. These coaches were working together for the first time. I think that language and all that type of stuff will be better and the players will have a better understanding of what they want to do. Uh, the biggest thing for me, and I think it's been, you know, this conversation has been touched on a lot is, is handling those big plays better. Uh, Dave Biddle, my colleague wrote about this last, last week, I think on Bucknuts. Uh, Jim Knowles was asked about, you know, you, do you regret anything? Do you do anything differently? And, he was very much the stay the course and, you know, continue to evaluate what you're doing and how you're lining guys up and things like that. But I don't think I expect like major changes to this defense. I think he's still going to be aggressive. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I am curious from your perspective, watching this on Saturdays, I know obviously it gets frustrating when they're giving up these big plays, but I think on the flip side, when the aggression works, yeah, it can be big plays the other way. So, 
you know, what, how do you weigh those two in your mind? Well, I mean, as a fan, you new coordinator, it's, you know, there's, there's just a lot of change in college football rapidly. It seems bringing in a new defensive coordinator, the transfer portal has been crazy. You know, you got guys jumping ship, getting paid. So to get one year under your belt and add guys that are familiar with the program, um, you know, if you can keep that core together and just build with, with the guys that you have and keep recruiting, you know, Knowles showed it last year all season that his philosophy can work. You can bring pressure without giving up big plays. It just, like you said, if you gamble too much, you can get burned. Uh, But those things are correctable, I think. Um, And so, you know, I expect them to be, you know, improved upon this past year and they were great last year. I mean, you played Georgia who was just, you know, they were hanging 40 on teams all year. Um, You know, Michigan was a top offense from a running perspective and they burned us through, through holes in the D line. So it's, it's, it's a knife's edge every time you're bringing heat like that. It's you're, you're going to get burned. And so I think just another year with the players and the coaching staff, they can correct these things and, you know, we'll see, right? Like you can, you can hope that they're going to be better, but at the end of the day, they got to play the game, right? Absolutely. Um, so I guess from your perspective, you know, is bringing in Knowles as a coordinator and bringing in Laronitis, you know, do you see thing? Do you see a difference around the program from years past? Do you do you sense that already? Is it too early? I mean, what what's your takeaway from from new faces, new names, and and just obviously we got a new team coming in this year. Yeah, I think last year you got the sense pretty early on that guys were excited about the changes on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think more often than not, those changes were positive. And like I talked with a couple guys in the locker room after the the Georgia loss about, okay, next year, like how did you feel like this year went? We didn't have a lot of time in there, unfortunately, but um, – there was a lot of positivity despite the fact that you just gave up 42 points to Georgia and, and lost the game. Uh, and Jack Sawyer told me that he thinks Jim Knowles is, is moving things in the right direction. Um, I think – I won't say it's too early to tell because I think we got a good idea of what this defense looks like. But like Jim Knowles said the other day, he still has probably a third of this defense that he wants to put in. There's still more things that they want to do. And I think he's got to be a bit more flexible – to what you've got here at Ohio State and, and kind of what you're facing on a weekly basis. Um, I do think sometimes in the Big 12, you could have probably gotten away with some things that maybe in the Big 10 you don't. And I don't think things like that really bit the Buckeyes last year. You know, like Wisconsin wasn't very good, so you didn't see, you know, the power run game uh, that they've had in the past. Right. Um, I'll be interested to see going to Madison with Luke Fickle coaching that team, probably a little bit more veteran team, like how they handle that. Uh, I also think that he's got to be willing to change some things to give, to, to concede, concede that he is conceding too much on these big plays. Some of them have been issues with, you know, guys just making mistakes or like one of the big Michigan touchdown passes was guy fell down in the secondary 
That's not right. coaching, obviously. But then, yeah. like, against Georgia, you have a, a safety in Lathan Ransom lined up with the fastest wide receiver on Georgia's team and in tight coverage on that play that they scored on the 75-yard touchdown pass. That can't happen. You can't do that. I mean, like, Lathan yeah. Ransom isn't a corner. He shouldn't be expected to turn his hips and run with the guy. You got to back off there and recognize those things. So I think, I think it is a work in progress. I do think there were a lot of positive things. I think the players like the direction that it's going in. The one thing that uh, I will say is that there does seem to be a bit of a disconnect between Larry Johnson on the defensive line and then Jim Knowles and what he's done previously. And that may be just kind of a working through it. It's going to take time because both of these guys have done this for a long time, have been successful doing what they're doing. And so now right. like, how do you mesh those two ideas? Uh, you know, for instance, and I'm going to write about this, Larry Johnson said he'd like to see guys like Jack Sawyer and Caden Curry who were playing some defensive end and some of that Jack hybrid position last year. Yeah. Just, just stick with the position instead of right. kind of floating because then you can just get better at that position. And you, he was asked, you know, does a linebacker, can a linebacker be the Jack position? And he was like, sure. But then Jim Knowles was asked about linebackers and he was like, no, it's probably going to be a defensive end. So like there's clearly some disconnect still on what they're going to do, at least publicly, you know, maybe, maybe they just both said different things publicly when behind closed doors, they're really in agreement. And one guy just didn't want to give something away, but it, it's a weird look if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that's another thing that you hear chatter about in the last couple of years is, you know, our D line has been so dominant the last six, seven, eight years with the Bosa brothers and Chase Young. And you just expect that the next five-star or four-star big name that's coming in is going to dominate like they have. So do you get the feeling that that's where the D line is at right now? Like, do we have guys that can do that or is there a lot of question mark there or what's your takeaway on that at this point, you know, in the off season? Look, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent. I mean, JT Tumalau and Jack Sawyer were two years ago, two of the top three defensive ends in the country coming out of high school. Yeah. And you've seen it in flashes. I mean, I've never seen a defensive end play as well as JT Tumalau did against Penn State. Yeah, the stuff he was, the interception he had where he broke on the route. You know, first of all, he's out covering a running back, I think. And then he breaks on the route catches it like a corner and is taken off and, you know, things go differently. The talent's definitely there. The pedigree is there. Yeah. And, you know, those are just two guys. Um, I think somewhat, you know, the defense has changed, obviously, than when the Bosa brothers and Chase Young were there. I think that Jim Knowles' scheme relies less on that defensive, that that true defensive end, you know, pressure from both sides. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's – there's less emphasis on that from his perspective. Um, I do, I do think Larry Johnson obviously still wants these guys to be be featured. I think the biggest thing for me is that, you know, it's just it's hard to be Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, and Chase Young. I mean, yeah. Ohio State. You mentioned spoiled. Spoiled. completely spoiled. Yeah, right. Like that series of guys is just unreal. I mean, you look at. Look at Alabama, look at Georgia, look at, you know, name the top Clemson. I mean, they had good guys, but 
did you have a run of guys like that? Like, I can't think of, you know, Alabama's had some really good defensive linemen, but like yeah. it hasn't been three straight, you know, guys that are pro bowler level. I don't think Chase Young's actually been to a pro bowl yet, but he's been hurt. Well, so maybe, maybe it is a good thing that the scheme is different than it was when we had those guys and we're not completely reliant on a Chase Young or a Bosa to dominate so that our defense steps up, right? Like, having a full defensive front of guys that just are all on the same page maybe is where it's moving forward. So hasn't worked the last two years though in crunch time, honestly. Um, it just, you know, like last two years against Michigan, it kind of feels like, you know, the D line has been moved off the ball a little bit, but they played well for the most part against Michigan last year for three quarters. It's just, I think Ohio state fans, like we mentioned, we've been spoiled. So, it's hard to hard to look past having those guys that we've had the last six years. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want this to get misconstrued. Like the defensive line is still very important, and rushing the quarterback is still very important. Right. Uh, but like you know, if you look at the way Jim Knowles schemes it, if you have that jack position in there, you know, you're basically moving a defensive end. You're playing with, you know, one true defensive end, two defensive tackles, maybe a a defensive tackle and another defensive end. It's a bigger, you know, it, so it's a little bit different than the four down scheme that Ohio state used for so long. Right. Uh, would they love for one of these defensive linemen to be in the conversation this time next year for a top three pick? Yeah. That yeah. would, that would help their defense a lot. You know, if the quarterback, well, you got to think like that's been the expectation. Like when they yeah. brought in Zach Harrison and Jack Sawyer, it was like, all right, reload the chamber like here we go so i think it's been a learning curve for ohio state fans as well like we're not gonna have the top five pick in the draft that's a d end every year well and i i think the talent is there sure it's just about getting those guys you know, maximizing those guys and certainly larry johnson was able to maximize the Bosa brothers and chase young no doubt about that now it's can he do it with these guys which are you know i don't i don't want to say they're as you know as talented, but look, those are two five-star kids. Yeah, they're two five-star kids. And so if we're basing it off of what we what we know and kind of comparing the two, Nick Bosa was a five-star kid. Chase Young was a five-star kid. Joey probably should have been a five-star kid. So, right. like, the expectations are there. And, you know, you saw Zach Harrison last year finally have a, a pretty good year. But, you know, not every five-star is going to play at the five-star top, you know, of the draft type of level. But you should, with the way Ohio State's recruited defensive linemen, and the interior of the defensive line is a part of this conversation too. Sure. Uh, they should certainly, they should be better than they have, even if the emphasis isn't as much on the pass rush. Um, you have the talent. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, I want to hit on some questions that we got here, and uh, then we'll wrap this thing up. And thanks again, Harry, for coming on here. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Yeah. So, uh, Robert Pfeiffer – Asked about the inside track to be the next starting quarterback. Um, I've talked about this a lot. So I know, obviously, you have a different perspective on it, Harrison, not covering the team. But yeah, what, what would you like to see from a quarterback, I guess, is kind of how I'm going to twist this question. Because we've seen – they saw under Urban, the mobile quarterback. Right. Obviously, Ryan Day's done some of that with Justin Fields. But even then, he didn't really want the quarterback to run as much. But he did make a comment the other day that a quarterback needs to be able to make some plays with his leg. Well, he said he needs to be a playmaker. 
yeah. whatever, however you read into that. What, what would you like to see from an Ohio State quarterback? Because obviously, if the you know if you have a Caleb Williams type who was the Heisman Trophy winner at USC, but then he gets hurt in the Pac-12 championship game because he took so many hits this year, there's going to be trade-offs. What what would you like to see from a quarterback at Ohio State? It's really interesting. Like I said, this is a different scenario for Ohio State going into the offseason. I mean, we've typically, more often than not, aside from CJ, had a dual threat, right? You know, we've, you know, Justin Fields, NFL quarterback arm, but could make plays with his legs. Braxton Miller, even JT Barrett had some wiggle. He can move. So, you know, it's the college game. Right, like just because you're the number one quarterback draft pick, uh, doesn't mean you're the best college quarterback. So, for a high state, I mean, Ryan Day's system is so proven at this point, it's almost plug and play. I mean, let's be honest, before before CJ Stroud took over as a starter, you know, when Justin Fields was in there, we had no idea who he was, right. We've heard Kyle McCord around the program being that he was teammates with Marvin and, you know, he's been there for some time now as a fan, you know, I just see Ryan Day's system and the separation that the wide receivers get on a regular basis. We need a guy that can control the offense, distribute and not turn the ball over. And if he makes plays with his legs, that's great. If he has to make legs with his plays, that's probably not a great thing. But, you know, it's an added extra incentive. It's it's great to have. Um, I don't know a ton about Kyle McCord other than he's been in the program. I know the stuff at face value, you see him at practice, so you kind of have a little bit more insight on, you know, who's running the offense better at this point. But from all – everything I've read, it's a true quarterback competition. So and it sounds like the other guy is a little bit more of a dual threat which, like I said, in the college game isn't a bad thing. But if he's having to do that regularly, that is a bad thing. And we're replacing some serious pieces on the offensive line. So it's going to be a challenge to piece it all together. They have the skill players to take the pressure off the quarterback. But when you get in those crunch crunch time plays and those games where you got to convert third down and you got to move the rock, you know, we need someone we can trust that can control the ball, distribute, and not turn the ball over. In my mind, I think you'd like you'd like what CJ was willing to do in the Georgia game. Right. You know, yeah, he'll he doesn't need to be a mobile guy, a dual threat guy all the time. But when it's there, go get six, seven, eight yards. And I know I'm not saying anything revolutionary there. A lot of people have, have said this. So I think both Devin Brown and Kyle McCord can do that. Devin Brown is probably more athletic, though. The coaching staff made it a point when we talked to them to be like, look, both of these guys, you know, they're not as dissimilar as people think. We'll see. Um, it'll be interesting. Well, who do you think has the inside track at this point? It's got to be McCord, right? Like, I mean, I think McCord has probably a little bit of a leg up just because he's, you know, he started a game at Ohio State. He's played 12 games. Right. Devin Brown hasn't thrown a pass, and I think he's played in three games. So, like, is yeah, there a possibility that Brown's going to come in and just blow us away and we're going to, you know, come springtime or come preseason in August, we're just going to be, yep, that's the guy? Like, does he have that ceiling is what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I think it would not surprise me if either of these guys won the job uh, at all. I think both are talented enough. I think if it if 
and I've said this on here before, if all things are equal between the two, you know, if they have done all the right stuff in practice, you know, I think if you want a more mobile guy, you've got Devin Brown. If you want more the CJ Stroud type, though, I think Kyle McCord moves more than CJ does. Yeah, it did. Um, then, then you can go that route. My lines, no one knows, right? Like this, other than like the one game, it's yeah, it's just it's just a complete question mark. Yeah, this will be this will be a spring that really tells a lot. And and I just published an article on Bucknuts a little while ago. If you want to read it, Ryan Day said he would like to have what? How do you put it? A vision, I think, of the quarterback situation. Uh, by the end of spring practice, he wasn't saying for sure, but that's different than what he said in the past where we've seen kind of bullshit quarterback competitions, if we're being honest, yeah. go all the way through fall camp. Right. Justin Fields wasn't named a starting quarterback until like three weeks before the season. He was competing with Chris Chuganoff. Like that wasn't a co- quarterback, comp- you know, so this this is a real quarterback competition. Chuck did go off in some late fourth quarter uh, blowout games, though. Let's yeah, say. he was fine. So did Kenny Guyton, but neither of those guys are doing Kenny much. Kenny G's a legend, man. Come on. <laughs> he did win the Purdue game. The Purdue game? Yeah, man. That was like a Disney movie. That was amazing. That was. Uh, all right, shifting from the quarterbacks here, um, I wanted, I saw a lot of people were, were mentioning this in the comment section. I did want to touch on it. I didn't know when exactly was the right time, but – Former Ohio State wide receiver Demetrius Stanley passed away. Uh, I don't know if it happened last night or this morning. Uh, our Steve Hellwagon did a really cool piece, wow. if you want to read it, that uh, talked to a lot of people that worked with him slash knew him well to kind of get an appreciation of Demetrius. Not only was he a Buckeye receiver who you know played four seasons at Ohio State from 93 to 96, catching 63 passes for – 1,136 yards and 13 touchdowns. Um, you know, he he obviously was a human, a family man. Um, I met him a couple times while he was working with the fan. Great guy. Um, my understanding is he was a, lost a battle with cancer. Um, wow. I did not know that. That's, okay. that's I'm sorry terrible. to bring you sad news there, but um, I did want to ask you, you know, thinking back to those 90s you were talking about earlier, is there – a Demetrius Stanley play or game or anything that pops in your mind? Oh, man. Um, he showed up pretty big in the Rose Bowl, I think. I think he had a, a big-time touchdown in the Rose Bowl. He was uh, – I think he was a local guy, too. Wasn't Demetrius Stanley a local guy? That could be. I can I can check that real quick. I think um, he might have been a Thomas Worthington kid at one yeah, point. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think that yeah, was- so here's another little sidebar fun fact. His dad, Wayne Stanley, was a quarterback at Iowa State many moons ago. And when I was in college, we used to shoot pool at a certain bar up in uh, Polaris. We used to shoot pool with Wayne Stanley, Demetrius Stanley's dad. That's pretty cool. And uh, I'm actually a better pool player because of that man. But So that's why I'm, I'm sad to hear that. Um, yeah, Demetrius Stanley was one of those Buckeyes – um, like Terry Glenn and, you know, those mid-90s guys that really, really set the tone for the program. I mean, you had David Boston after those guys, but those are the earliest memories of, of Ohio State's offense really opening up and hanging big-time points and yardage on teams, and it was because of guys like Demetrius Stanley, you know, David Boston, Terry Glenn. Um, 
yeah so real sad to hear that um but yeah he was a standout player for high state and um you know too bad too bad to hear that yeah unfortunate news you never like to have to talk about something like that so i did want to at least address it and, and give you a chance um i i do remember him as a player um i more remember meeting him the few times i did when he was working locally um obviously uh, a fun dude he was on the fan for a couple of years and uh yeah. yeah i always had had good stuff to say um scott asked scott mcfarland asked we're going back to James Lornais. Do you think James Lornais is part of a proactive transition plan for when Larry Johnson eventually retires, moving Knowles to D-line along with the new GA brought in to help coach D-line? Um, I do not, actually. I think when Larry Johnson does eventually retire, I think Ohio State will go out and either hire a defensive line coach to replace him. Uh, could be somebody who has already worked in the program under Larry Johnson, if they want to stay on that track um, or maybe somebody, if, if somebody does in the program emerge, but I would not be surprised if they go hire somebody who, especially if the coaching staff uh, numbers increase, they go hire somebody who Jim Knowles thinks fits with what he wants to do, but is also a proven defensive line coach. I think they will. Uh, I don't think the James Lorne ice thing has anything to do with that. Um, Go Jay. Yeah, I, I, I got to interject here. Uh, Demetri Stanley did have a touchdown in the Rose Bowl, seventy-two yards to the house from Joe Germain. So I'm, I, I had to remember that and throw that out there. That probably is the lasting memory. So shout out crazy. to Demetrius. Yeah. Um, Go Jay said Ohio State moving away from the run stretch game to a downtown attack will be huge. It'll be interesting, I think, to see what this run game looks like with Justin Fry more involved. Um, I know last year I talked to Tony Alfred at one point, they were studying various NFL teams and trying to see how to do more of that stretch run stuff. I don't know if I could say that it was a bad idea. I think the running game was working pretty well until guys started to get hurt. And, you know, you have Travion Henderson playing on a foot that eventually required surgery. You had, um, Mayan Williams dealing with a variety of different injuries throughout the season. So like, I don't know if the scheme was wrong for what they had. Uh, I think, you know, can it be improved? Absolutely. I'll be interested to see what Justin Fry does with this, but you know, you need guys to be healthy and for whatever it's reason. It's hard to grade the run game after last year. I mean, we were using third and four string running backs by the, you know, end of the season, Maryland, you know, guys are getting PT. It'll be interesting to see what they do with uh, Hayden though. Obviously he, showed he's he's got some wiggle and he can he can carry the ball he didn't turn the ball over much last year so at all you, yeah you hope to keep guys like that in the program but with the new nil and transfer like you gotta think guys are are getting whispers that hey you could be a starting running back over here or, you know you could you could transfer here and we could pay you xyz so hopefully hopefully we can utilize all the guys you know we can't share the rock three ways but there's a lot of talent in the backfield and, and you, you just got to hope that Henderson can get back to healthy and it helps to have a senior like, you know, Mayan Williams to be back there. So I don't know. I think you got to keep the, the, the offense balanced. You got to pound the rock. That's how you win football games and just having the offensive attack like we do with the, with the pass games 
that's that's sugar on top so yeah i if if all guys are healthy and i honestly i do think i think ohio state will have all of these five running backs Trayvon henderson mine williams down hayden evan Pryor, who was hurt this past season yeah. and chip train him back next year i think if i had to maybe one guy transfers I don't think it would be Dallin Hayden. Who knows? I mean, you, you never know what guys are yeah. going to do. But Trayvon Henderson's not practicing this spring. I expect Mayan Williams to do very little this spring. So Dallin Hayden will have his shot to show what he can do in practice with Chip Trainum, Evan Pryor still out too. So I think they've done a good job of keeping that room together. We'll see what happens after the spring if, if maybe a guy decides to go. But I think it's going to be a pretty deep room. Um, Cover's not dry for the quarterback that's coming in, which is great. No, no. And, I mean, that's not even talking about the receivers and the tight ends they've got. And uh, Matthew Miller said, I'm ready to see Sonny Styles and C.J. Hicks, Kai Stokes, the new transfers at DB. Jermaine Matthews will be a stud. Calvin Simpson Hunt, fast ASF. Um, I I agree. These are This is a group of young guys mostly listed there in the defensive backfield, um, linebackers that – Sonny Styles is a big name that everyone wants to see. That's yeah. just all the Buckeye fans, all my cousins, everyone that that are from out of town. They they hear that name and they 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 know they know he's got some game. Yeah, I mean, this is a kid who was a stud at Pickering Pickerington, one of the Pickerington's. I Central, forget. I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and reclassified, so really, this should be he should be going into his freshman year right now at Ohio state reclassified got on the field a good amount last year. Not, not a ton. They obviously had some depth there at safety, but I mean, by the end of the year, he played legitimate snaps, like first team snaps against Georgia because they thought they had um, a matchup that they liked there. So he's a guy, CJ Hicks is a guy who uh, they need to find a role for. I mean, obviously you've got your two starting linebackers returning, but I mentioned that Jack position earlier, I wonder if C.J. Hicks maybe could fit into that role as a guy who can kind of do a little bit of everything. Uh, Ty Stokes is a guy who flashed last offseason. I think he may still have a year or two before he can really get on the field. But you mentioned the transfers at DBs. Jihad Carter from Syracuse. Davison Igbenosan from Ole Miss. Those are guys who should come in and start probably right away. I mean, nothing. Yeah, from Ole Miss is the real deal. <laughs> and he's just a freshman. I mean, he'll be a sophomore this year. So you've got him for at least two more years. He's a guy, you know, pretty highly recruited. Uh, you know that that should be, it, it should be in my mind. Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, who was hurt this past year, but I've heard a, we've all heard a lot of good things about, and then Davidson Igbenosan battling for some sort of rotation at the cornerback spots. Yeah. I would guess going into next year. If that doesn't happen, I think you're going to have. You, that, that means something didn't go right this offseason, but, um, you know, it, you've got more depth now at corner, more talented depth with him coming in. And Jihad Carter, he'll probably play that that slot corner nickel position that Tanner McAllister played last year. But right. He's a bigger body than Tanner McAllister. He's 6'2". Yeah. So it, it'll look different there, but I think that, you know, especially Defense going – Defense is pretty loaded. Defense is, is, is pretty loaded. The talent uh, – well – I don't want to say the talent's not the issue because I still think they they are finally starting to get back to recruiting at an elite level defensively. I think there were like two or three years 
where it wasn't the case. Yeah. So much emphasis, you know, Brian Hartline was doing such a good job and Brian day was hitting on the quarterbacks and like, it's almost like they forgot that they needed to land elite defensive recruits too. They didn't, but they missed right. on some guys. Obviously we mentioned the defensive linemen that they got, but there definitely was a little bit of a, a setback. I think they've started to adjust. You started to see development from guys. Um, that's the secondary next year will be very interesting to see how far they've come because there could be some young guys in there that are playing over some of the veteran guys that yeah. just haven't, haven't done enough yet. And so we'll see. I do think that that's been made more of a priority, which you're Ohio state. You've got to, you've got to land some top guys on both sides of the ball. It can't be all wide receivers. Well, and we go full circle here. I think that that's why Laronitis is, is going to be key to yeah. all of this. I yeah. mean, since as soon as he can hit the road and you know, he, he seems like such a genuinely authentic, straightforward guy that like, that's what you need in recruiting, right? Like you need an honest approach to it. And, you know, someone that's been there and it sounds like that's, that's who he is. And I mean, if I'm a five-star linebacker and I'm in the Midwest or anywhere for that matter, and he's coming to my, my door and offering me and I can go be a linebacker at high state. I mean, how do you turn that down? That's just it's as big as it gets. Yeah, well, and, and the one thing we didn't talk about when we were talking about him and Brian Hartline earlier, they love the Buckeyes. And, like, yeah, like obviously, if your job is to recruit for Ohio State, you're recruiting for Ohio State, but... It's just different, though. I mean, they've, yeah. been, they've been through it. Right. And, you know, Justin Fry played at Indiana. Ryan Day played at New Hampshire. Uh, Tony Alford played... I don't even remember where Tony Alford played off the top of my... You know, like, that's... But my point is, like, these guys, yeah, this is their job. A lot of them have been here for a long time. So obviously they, they want to do the best they can on the recruiting trail. And I, I, I don't want to take anything away from what any of those guys have done. But when yeah. you played for the program and then you come back and work for the program, there's just a little you – can, you can tap into that you know, internal love for the program, I think, a little bit more. It becomes sure. just that much more authentic when you're talking to kids. So I think that – All right, Harry. Well, thank you very much for jumping yeah, man. How much of your beer did you get done? Uh, I'm about halfway through, which is good because I still got some uh, still got some business to take care of today. But this is this has been great, great chopping it up. Hopefully, the viewers uh, enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, next time we're gonna we're gonna have to find something that we argue about a little bit more. We're too much in agreement today. It's not as yeah. Fun. This is the people need to know this isn't the, the true the true Pat Harrison show if we're not going at each other's necks so yeah we'll find a topic we disagree on next time i have you on we'll uh we'll, we'll go at it a little bit more but uh thanks again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh boy all right thanks again man i do appreciate it yeah no problem man all right see ya thanks again harrison for jumping on here for the happy hour obviously we've done uh a lot of people you probably recognize among the ohio state community during the football season, we were doing people that uh, covered the other team as well. So I want to do something a little different. Harrison's a guy that, as I said, knows Buckeye football. And we like to we like to do this in real life, sit around, chat about sports and drink beer. So I figured, why not do it on here? We'll do some more of that. I've got some ideas throughout the offseason of Harrison and other people we can, we can chat with. So hope you enjoyed it. If you have not already done so, Go over to Bucknuts. We've got a ton of stuff that's been up over the last few days. I mentioned some stuff earlier. I just did a story on the quarterbacks. Uh, Steve did a great piece 
on Demetrius Stanley and, and had some great quotes from people that worked with him that knew him well. I recommend checking that out. We've, we've got a ton of stuff. There'll continue to be a ton of stuff from this past week when we talk to the assistant coaches throughout the, the next month or so before we get into spring practice. If you're not a Bucknuts VIP subscriber and you're into kind of the ins and outs, the inside information, recruiting, any of those things, you can sign up right now to be a Bucknuts subscriber. Um, we just finished a promotion that, uh, that ended at the end of last month, but if there's another one coming up, I'll certainly let you guys know. But uh, if you're a Buckeye fan, big Buckeye fan, I do recommend that for everybody. I think, I think we do a good job. I don't know. I try. The other guys try. Anyway, we're going to sign off. This is, a, this is a long one. I didn't expect to go as long today on the Bucknuts Happy Hour. But Harrison and I had a lot to talk about. You guys had some things you wanted to hear about. So I appreciate it. And, uh, again, I'm Patrick Murphy. You can find me on Twitter if Twitter's working. I've had some real struggles with Twitter the last couple of days. At underscore Pat underscore Murphy. I'm still trying to use Instagram more for work. That's at underscore Pat underscore Murphy underscore, I believe is what it is. So I'm trying to add my stuff on there as well. But thanks for tuning in. This is another episode of the Bucknuts Happy Hour. And uh, cheers, everybody. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.